So today we're going to continue talking about benzodiazepines. Yesterday we had just finished up talking about how they work. And how do they work? They do something with something. That's very profound. Okay, they potentiate GABA. What is GABA? <laughs> no, it activates the receptor. But in activating the receptor, it makes the neuron less likely to fire. So GABA is a neurotransmitter that is always inhibitory. It always inhibits the neuron from firing. So when you potentiate GABA, you make the neurons in the brain less likely to fire. Now, there's a ceiling effect because it depends on GABA. So it can only work as much as there's GABA receptors and GABA naturally in the brain. So it's almost impossible to kill yourself by overdosing on it. Unless you mix it with another central nervous system depressant like alcohol and opioids. All right, so what we're going to use them for is, uh, well, the effects of them reduce anxiety. People just don't get anxious as much when they're on these. Makes a person want to sleep or feel like they can sleep because they're relaxed. It causes muscle relaxation. So one of them, Valium, is actually used as a muscle relaxant. Um, also, they can cause anterograde amnesia, which means that the person blacks out. They don't remember, they may not remember things that occurred after they took the drug. And we actually use this as a therapeutic um, effect when we, use, when we uh, use them for induction of anesthesia. Because we don't want people remembering what happened to them on the operating room table. Especially the jokes that were told. Now, if they're given IV, they can cause hypotension and cardiac arrest, so they must be pushed slowly. And they can cause respiratory depression, not very much by themselves, but when you combine them with opioids or alcohol, it gets a lot worse. So make sure you check the respiratory rate. All right, most of them are well-absorbed PO, and most of them have active metabolites. Now, some, some of them, the drug only lasts a short while, but the active metabolite can last much longer. So um, duration is wildly different among the different agents. Um, for example, fluorazepam only lasts two to three hours, and its metabolite lives 50 hours. The Librium lasts 72 hours. So, huge difference in the duration that they last. Okay, so what do we use them for? Well, we use them for anxiety, we use them for insomnia, for seizures. Um, we can actually use them to either prevent seizures or to stop seizures. We use them for muscle spasm, we use them for alcohol withdrawal, and what we're using them in alcohol withdrawal is to prevent delirium tremens. So what you might want to do is look up delirium tremens and see how long after a person stops using alcohol do delirium tremens occur. T-R-E-M-E-N-S, tremens. Delirium tremens is life-threatening. It's basically with alcohol withdrawal syndrome. They can also be used for panic disorder and they can use them in surgery either for the induction of anesthesia, so use them before anesthesia to make the anesthesia work easier, 
And you can also use them for what we call conscious sedation. In conscious sedation, a person is kind of out of it, but they're not asleep. So they're aware of what's going on. They can respond to commands. They can change positions if told to. But when they come back out of it, they don't really remember much of what happened. At least that's the idea. Adverse effects. Well, obviously drowsiness. It also make a person lightheaded, decreased concentration, which leads us to a very important one, motor vehicle accidents. Benzos and driving and other heavy machinery do not get along. Um, the amnesia. And then there's also what we call a paradoxical effect. What is a paradoxical effect? All right, they can actually cause the symptoms that we're trying to treat. So they can cause a person to become more anxious and uh, more wired rather than putting them to sleep and making them feel less anxious. Um, they can cause respiratory depression. Um, they have a high potential for abuse and uh, never use them in pregnant women because they can cause birth defects or other problems with the fetus. All right, here are some common benzos. Notice the, uh, the commonality. Most of them end in zapam or alam. So diazepam, lorazepam, clonazepam, timazepam, and then you also have the alprazolam, midazolam. The one that's really different is chlordiazepoxide, which is librium. All right, so what do you need to know for your test? Well, I will tell you. You need to know Valium, Ativan, Xanax, Clonopin, and you need to know Restoril and Midazolam. You'll also need to know one thing about Librium. It's the longest acting one, and it's used primarily in the hospital for prevention of DTs. Now, what do you need to know about all these other ones? There's a table in your book. You need to memorize that particular table, which is what they're used for. So, for example, Temazepam or Restoril, what do you think it's used for? It's used for insomnia, and that's the only thing it's used for. Meanwhile, a drug like Diazepam is used for like five different things. That's what's in that table. That's what you need to memorize for your test. Where is the table? It's in the, cha it's in the chapter on benzos. It's changed. It changed page numbers. I used to have it in here, but they kept changing the page number on me, so I finally just took it out. Librium. Librium is the longest act. Is the longest one. Has the longest duration of action, and it's typically used for prevention of delirium tremens. Yes, ma'am. The table is what they're used for. For those drugs, you need to know what they're used for. Okay. All right, I'm going to highlight some things, though. Midazolam, or Versed, is it's a very short-acting one. It's given IV only, and it's used for conscious sedation and induction of anesthesia. That's Midazolam, the last one. So these last two, Temazepam, Restoril, and Midazolam, Versed, only have one use. And that's what you'll need to know about them. Is that for like when they, um, never mind. Yeah. 
Now, there's three of them that are used for seizure disorders, and you need to know that as well. That's diazepam or Valium, lorazepam or Ativan, and clonazepam or clonopin. So those are the only three benzodiazepines that we use for seizure disorders. Yes, ma'am. Yes. What table is it? Page 365. Page 365. Table 34 Table 34 All right. So that's the benzodiazepines. Nice and easy. The next, drug the next drugs we're going to talk about are what we call benzo-like hypnotics. They're used for insomnia only. They're not used for, um, for anxiety or any other use, only for insomnia. Um, and they also regulate GABA. The two drugs there are Zolpidem or Ambien and Zaliplon or Sonata. And I know some of your patients have been on Ambien, but since you do days only, you haven't had a chance to give it to them. But what you need to know is that Ambien is a controlled substance, and in elderly people, it can cause them to wake up in the middle of the night confused. Because Ambien does not help you stay asleep, it helps you get to sleep. So what happens sometimes is you give it to the patient, they go to sleep, nice and easy, and then they wake up in the middle of the night, two in the morning, pring, where am I? Who are you? What's going on? Like kind of like sundowners, except that now they're confused because of the drug. They do have a longer acting version of Ambien now, which is supposed to help you stay asleep longer. It's more typical in the elderly to wake up in the middle of the night. Younger people, usually once they're asleep, they get to stay asleep. But, like, let's say if a younger person wakes up, they're not going to wake up very much? Don't. Of course, it can happen to anyone. Let's just not nitpick, okay? No, it's good to know if I don't want to, you know? <sighs> <laughs> okay. What I can tell you is that the drug reps who used to sell this stuff, they used to all be on it themselves. And they, they, you'd hear them talk, and they're like, oh my gosh, have you ever taken Ambien? They're like, it is the best sleep ever. You just wake up, and you're so just refreshed, and you just feel so great. I'm going to take it all the time from now on. So it really can help some people who have trouble sleeping sleep, uh, primarily people who are wound up. Have you ever tried to go to sleep, but you have all these thoughts running through your head, and you can't? That's the kind of person that Ambien is meant for. Now... When, here's what you need to tell your patients about how to take it. What you're supposed to do is you've brushed your teeth, you've done, you've, you know, walked the dog, everything is ready to go, you're in your pajamas, you're at your bed, you take the drug, you lay down and fall asleep. You're not supposed to do all that stuff after you take it. It doesn't work as well. And Sandy had a question. No, I did not say that. I said that... Um, Antihistamines can prevent you from going through all the stages of sleep, so you might wake up feeling more tired. This is a sleep aid. No, antihistamines like Benadryl do not work the same way as this works. Okay, Benadryl, you can wake up feeling groggy or, or not refreshed. With this, typically you wake up refreshed if you get a full night's sleep. 
You're also supposed to make sure that if you use Ambien, how many of you, how many of you go to bed where you only get, it's only possible, you can only get six hours if you fall asleep the moment you go to bed to wake up? Okay, you are not a good candidate for Ambien. You would need to go to bed two hours earlier. You need to make sure you have at least eight hours allotted for uninterrupted sleep or you should not take Ambien. All right, now, um, Zaloplon or Sonata is the, also basically the same thing. It's better at helping you fall asleep than stay asleep. Barbiturates. Next thing we're going to talk about. Barbiturates are very old drugs. Um, they've been used for more than 100 years. And the, what they do is they directly activate recept the GABA receptor. So with the benzodiazepine, it makes the GABA work better. Barbiturates do the same thing, but they also directly activate it. So you can easily overdose on these and end up dead. So there's no ceiling on their effect. The more you give, the more it works. They are highly, highly addictive. And the only two things we use them for nowadays is for seizure disorders and anesthesia induction. The drug name you need to know is phenobarbital. And we'll talk more about this when we do our seizure disorder, when we do the epilepsy lecture in a little bit. Um, as far as anesthesia induction goes, sometimes if a patient has a traumatic brain injury or if we can't stop their seizures, like you give them drugs and the seizures go away and they come right back, sometimes we'll put them into what's called our bar barbiturate coma, where we give them phenobarbital or another barbiturate and we basically put them in an artificial coma and you leave them there for a couple weeks and then try and bring them back and see if, if they don't go back into it. Coma is not sleep. Sleep is a normal part of your, you know, of your body's cycle. A coma is basically decreased brain function. So what you're doing in this case is you're actually decreasing their brain function to where they can't, they can't possibly be roused. Um, you could use this for burn victims. If you, if sometimes they'll put them into a barbiturate coma. Anytime you hear that, that term, barbiturate coma, they're trying to protect someone's brain function by lowering their brain activity. So, for example, if you have a patient who, say, they've got just incredibly impaired um, circulation because of shock, so your, your body needs a lot of oxygen to run your brain. So if you put them in a barbiturate coma, they need less oxygen to run their brain. You can help prevent brain damage that way. All right, um, some others. Trazodone and amitriptyline are both antidepressants, and they're sometimes used in small doses to give um, to help someone sleep because their main side effect is drowsiness. Trazodone also has the... Uh, the interesting side effect that it can cause erections and priapism. And uh, before we had Viagra, some people used to try and take Trazodone for that particular side effect. It makes them sleepy too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, also, in addition, sometimes people will use first-generation antihistamines like Benadryl or diphenhydramine. Um, doxylamine is Unisom. You can get this over the counter. 
Uh, most, of, most of those sleep aids that you buy over the counter are an antihistamine. Some of them are actually just Benadryl. And then hydroxazine or Atarax is also an antihistamine that can be used to make a person drowsy. Now, hydroxazine is an interesting drug. It's used for three different things. One of them is for sleep. One of them is for its antihistamine effects. So like if you have itchy or if you want to prevent um, an, an allergic reaction. And then the third one, it actually is an anti-anxiety medication. In the way it makes you drowsy, it also makes you less anxious. So you might see a patient who's on it for any one of those three reasons. Can you say what the middle one was again? The middle one is doxalamine. Oh, no, I mean between sleep and anti-anxiety. Oh, anti-histamine effects. So you can't assume that just because a person is on hydroxyzine that they have allergies. It might be for sleep or it might be for anxiety. Um, oh, by the way, the hydroxyzine has a uh, long-acting metabolite that you might be familiar with in the form of Zyrtec. So your body breaks down hydroxyzine into Zyrtec. And then the wonderful makers of Pfizer took the Zyrtec molecule and marketed it as a separate drug, which was, over the, which was now over-the-counter. Isn't that nice of them? All right. Um, now, we're no longer talking about sleep and hypnotics. Now we're going to talk about anxiety. Now, for anxiety, you can use benzodiazepines, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and then miscellaneous. So we've already talked about benzos. Benzos can be used for generalized anxiety disorder, meaning GAD. Now, what's the most important aspect of generalized anxiety disorder? Say again? No. What's the most, what's the distinguishing characteristic of generalized anxiety disorder? It's not situational. There's not necessarily a target. You're just an anxious person all the time. You could be anxious about anything, maybe about nothing. I don't know why I'm anxious. I'm just anxious. What are you anxious about? I don't know. Well, are you thinking about anything particular? No, I'm just anxious. That's generalized anxiety disorder. It's very frustrating to talk to someone who has it and try and figure out why they're anxious because there's no cause. They're just anxious. So you can also use benzos and, and serotonin reuptake inhibitors and others for situational anxiety. And that's where you're actually anxious about something in particular. Um, in addition to those two big ones, serotonin reuptake inhibitors can also be used for panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, social anxiety, and um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, what is post-traumatic stress disorder? Okay. After something horrible has happened to you and you have some kind of uh, anxiety related to that experience. Now, there is one caveat. Post-traumatic stress disorder occurs after time has passed. So if something bad happens to you and you have nightmares for a couple nights or a week or two, that's not post-traumatic stress disorder. If they continue, that's post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, Obsessive compulsive disorder. Do you know anyone who has obsessive compulsive disorder? Now, most people think of OCD as not 
what it really is. In OCD, what people typically have is they have bad thoughts. And the reason they do things multiple times is because they're trying to do it on the time where they don't have the bad thought. So like, for example, if they, every time they touch the doorknob, they think a bad thought. Like say they're, they're worried about HIV in Africa. They have to do it again until they don't have that thought. And, and the thought can have nothing to do with the action they're performing. I don't, I know, you can't understand it because you don't have it. Yes, but that's more televised, you know. It's, yeah. Maybe another time. Okay, next, um, panic disorder. Does anyone here, has anyone here ever experienced a panic attack? Okay. The defining characteristic of a panic attack is <laughs> overwhelming panic. But what, what typically happens is it's self-perpetuating. So what happens is the person gets nervous and they feel like they can't catch their breath. And then that makes them even more nervous. So in whatever triggered it, it ends up in, I can't breathe. So a lot of times when a woman comes into the ER and says, I'm having difficulty breathing, they say, oh, you just have panic disorder and send them home with a benzo and then they end up dead because they actually had a heart attack. Because what are the signs and symptoms of a heart attack in women? Shortness of breath is the number one, often with no chest pain. And even if they do have chest pain, well, that could just be part of the panic. And the other thing is, what happens when a person has a heart attack? What kind of response does the body give? Sym sympathetic. What does sympathetic make you? Jittery and nervous. So you look just like you have panic disorder, but in fact, you have a heart attack. So that's why it's so important that when a woman comes into the ER with shortness of breath, even if it looks like a panic disorder, got to rule out heart attack. All right, that's my soapbox for the day. Now, here's one of the other anxiolytics that we're going to talk about, and it is called buspirone or buspar. There's no sedation. There's no abuse potential. There is no interaction with alcohol. Sounds like a great drug, right? there's one little thing. It develops slowly. It takes at least a week to work. So the problem is people don't feel like it works because they want to take a pill and make it better. What, what kind of drug would do that? A benzo. So Xanax or Ativan or Valium, you know, you take it, you feel better. <sighs> I feel so much more relaxed now. You don't get that with Buspar. You have to take it every day for at least a week before it starts to go before the um, anxiety starts to go away, and it can take several weeks for it to reach the full potential. It's typically only used for short-term therapy, meaning a year or less. Question? Oh yeah, I was just gonna ask. Can you give like a combination of drugs like that plus yes. benzo and then? Yes, yes, you can. Okay. Um, you can also give beta blockers for anxiety disorders, and this is primarily for performance or test type anxiety. So if the thought of having to perform, whether it's on a test or whether it's in front of people, gets your heart all pounding and jittery and oh my gosh, I can't think and look how my heart's pounding. I must be really nervous. It makes it, you can use a beta blocker for that. However, beta blockers can also cause slight memory impairment. <laughs> so, 
so you won't know if it works for you until you try it. Um, we, had a, we had a student who was on uh, metoprolol, I know, atenolol, because she had mitral valve prolapse, and she was just like the coolest person ever. Nothing ever got her upset. She never felt any, any of that, you know, adrenaline rush when she got upset because, yeah, it was just like, yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm really angry right now. It's like, while well, she's smiling at you, and you're like, you're scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So and, up, like, Adderall and beta blocker? <laughs> <laughs> they would counteract their effects. By the way, how many of you have seen that horrible, dumb movie called Crank? Not, not, you saw it? Um, the whole premise of the movie is that they give they gave them a beta blocker which is killed which kills them, so he's got to keep his heart rate up. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Anyway, yeah, the the Asian cocktail. It was just dumb, dumb, dumb. Anyway, vitamin H. Vitamin H is haloperidol. Haloperidol is a long-acting traditional antipsychotic, and one of its side effects is that it can be sedating. We can also use it for one of its other side effects, which is it helps to prevent nausea. But a lot of times in the hospital, you'll see Haldol being prescribed for agitation. And it can be abused, and a lot of times what nurses do is they just give it to them to sedate them. It should not be given for sedation. It should be given if the patient is actually agitated because they're having psychotic features. What do we say psychosis was? Loss of touch with reality. So, how many of you have had a patient who, after surgery, had some hallucinations? Didn't know where they were, didn't know what was going on. Yes. I had a patient once who'd come back from surgery and she was seeing these like cockroaches come out of the ceiling at her, like foot long, foot long cockroaches. And and they had they had hairy chins. And yeah, she would be a candidate for the haloperidol. But just because a person is feisty, that's not a reason to give them haloperidol. So use your discretion. Um, and if you're giving. If you're giving it several times a day, it's probably not the appropriate drug for that patient. So it should not be used as an anti-anxiety drug. It should be used for its appropriate purpose. And we're done with that. You may. I don't know. Television, television OCD? Yeah. 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 Just being over anal about things is probably just training. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the same thing. Yeah. All right. Now, some people with, with what we call OCD are actually schizophrenic. That's, that is one thing. Yeah, and if, if a person is hallucinating, that's a whole other issue. Yeah, but that again, it's just different. You'll talk all about it when you're in psych, so 
So don't worry. You'll talk about it again. All right.